You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to 3CR's Radioactive Show, produced at my home on unceded Wurundjeri lands. I pay my respects to Wurundjeri elders past and present and welcome all First Nations people listening today. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. The Radioactive Show is distributed across these stolen lands known as Australia on the Community Radio Network and brought to you with the financial support of the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. My name is AC. In today's show, Radshow producer Michaela Stubbs interviews Greg Bannon, member of FLAG, the Flinders Local Action Group, who successfully worked to stop a nuclear waste dump proposal on Adyamatnya country in the Flinders Ranges of South Australia. Thank you so much for joining us on the Radioactive Show. Greg, could you just tell us about how you first got involved with the campaign against the federal government's National Nuclear Waste Dump proposal? Yes, certainly, Michaela. Um, Well, we've been involved, I've been involved, and our group uh, here in the Flinders Ranges has been involved since we first heard uh, the, the minister at the time was Josh Frydenberg, Minister for Resources, announced in late 2015 that we that there were six sites selected around Australia uh, as potential sites for a national radioactive waste management facility, and the six sites he named them. Uh, one of one was uh, close to us in the Flinders Ranges, right in our district, and two others were. In only about 200 k's away, near Kimber, um, we're all in the same federal electorate. I might add, um, the liberal seat, the federal seat of Grey, uh, which is uh, is retained by the Liberal Party, and then there were three other sites around: one in Northern Territory, one in Queensland, and one in New South Wales. Um, and that was the first we'd heard. We we never heard any anything. Here, I believe the Kimber, people in Kimber may have had an idea that, that there were proposals going. We had no idea that we were even in the uh, under consideration as potential sites for nuclear waste. So, uh, our group, we, so that that was in the end of 2015, and individually, of quite a few of us uh, who'd heard this information, started writing letters and trying to find out, and in fact the Department of Innovation and Industry um, had a, a roadshow um, late in 2015 um, inviting local local community members to come down to the council hall and have a look at the proposal. So we did that. Um, and uh, when I say we, me, my wife and I, and then a few other people who had also heard the news and we'd compared notes. But... Uh, we didn't formally form a group, a protest group, until the following year. Uh, and we, we formed a group called Flinders Local Action Group. And we put our resources together to to try and um, oppose that that, uh, that waste facility. We have quite a, a very strong Indigenous community here. The, particularly the site that was chosen was on Andiamatana land, which is 
sort of up north, north of the north through the Flinders Ranges, basically, and out onto the west side, up towards Lake Torrens. Um, so the the, uh, the first people I heard publicly speaking about that were the uh, three three sisters from a family called the Mackenzies, um, who are Adjumatna, and it was on the site is actually on some of their traditional, uh, very intro, very important traditional homeland area. Uh, they, they, so they uh, they were very outspoken and very strong in their in their opposition. So that gave us a bit of heart. Uh, that's basically how we came to get involved, and we've been fighting it ever since. So here we are, 2021, still going. Yes, and tell us a bit about what you've seen as far as the impacts on the community and I guess the broader region, given that, as you say, yeah, the Kimber site that now is the focus of the federal government's proposals is in the same region. Um, it's been enormously divisive for, for both our communities because basically what the department did, uh, they had a process where they called for private landholders around Australia to nominate their land as potential sites for the waste facility. Um, and there was no requirement by those landholders to inform their community that they were going to apply to, to have a nuclear waste dump on their property. Um, they just went through whatever channels um, they went and the, their applications, I think there were 25 applications considered around Australia, narrowed down by some process that we don't know anything about. Um, there was an independent assessment panel and so on. We found all this out afterwards. Um, and they shortlisted it to six sites, like I said before. Um, and then that started a flood of attention by the um, by the Department of Innovation and Industry, DIIS, it's called Innovation, Industry and Science, they were at the time, um, where they came to the community. Um, in fact, they even set up an office uh, in both our our community here in the Flinders Ranges and also over at Kimber, um, where they had a, a liaison officer, um, and there were there were regular regular visits from from Canberra by um, Canberra-based staff, basically to provide information. Come along if you've got any issues. Come and talk to us. Um, we'll endeavour to answer and set you any concerns at rest. Uh, so that was a continual presence for a couple of years. Uh, we were bombarded by mail uh, newsletters. We have over a hundred documents came through our our uh, private, you know, post boxes and mail bags. Um, and when we tried to, uh, when when I say we, I'm talking about our group. This is our our experience here. We came, we read a lot of this stuff. It was all glossy brochures, all with artwork um, on a number of issues, uh, all and everything was very supportive and, you know, in, in favour of the dump, as you'd expect, because the government was not only the proposer of the dump, but they were the promoter, so they were actually the salesmen. Um, and when we challenged some of those statements and tried to perhaps send, well, we tried to send uh, newsletters to our district to put a different point of view, we came up against regulations. We couldn't just go through the, the mail system uh, because we were classed as junk mail, um, so we could uh, we could send our brochures to our community 
um, and it would only be delivered to people who were happy to accept junk mail, whereas the department's uh, material went to every house, letterbox, mailbag, mail run. Um, so that, that's where the division started. And, of course, there was a lot of money promised uh, for every, every year of the process uh, until the a decision had been made to start uh, or to, on, until the decision had been made where the site was going to be. Uh, there was $2 million given to the community uh, called a Community Benefit Fund. Uh, people had to apply. There had to be applications for a grant from that, that amount of, from that money. So, um, and there was various other committees set up. There was a community consultative committee, uh, paid, paid members of the community paid to sit on that community. Basically, though, with no um, decision-making powers, simply an advisory, so in, a, in essence, really a rubber stamp. Uh, it was a continual... There was no cooling-off period. You know, usually I think if somebody comes door-to-door -door selling your stuff, you do have a chance to and uh, get caught up in the rhetoric of the salesman. You've got a chance to cool off. But in this case, it was relentless. Um, so that, that's... And so the community divided. There were people who... who who bought the line of, of all these jobs that were going to create jobs and wealth, houses, people coming, more kids in schools, etc., etc. And there were others who said, well, two things. We don't think our the site proposed is suitable for nuclear waste and, um, and we don't think the jobs are actually there. It, it, it didn't stack up. So those decisions... Uh, divisions are still there, still rife in Kimber. Um, we, it all culminated after three years in in a vote, community vote, and in our case, the Flinders Rangers, we ended up with 52% voting, 53% voting um, against the site, and 47% voting in favour. And at the time, uh, that that caused Minister Canavan, who was Minister at that time, to say, well, look, it's not a huge uh, majority, but it, it shows that the community doesn't want it, that there's not broad-based community support, so we'll take the Flinders Ranges site off the agenda. And then he named a site over at Kimber, which is Napandi, and that's the one that's back on the agenda right now. That's Greg Bannon, member of the Flinders Local Action Group. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced on unceded Wurundjeri lands for 3CR and distributed across so-called Australia on the Community Radio Network. Stay tuned as Michaela continues her interview with Greg Bannon. And some of the Kimba community and uh, particularly the Bangala traditional owners have been talking about how that community ballot that they had in Kimba was manipulated. Have you, yeah, had an opportunity to talk about that with them? And We have. Um, in fact, that, that, that's another problematic um, part of the whole procedure. The process is abysmal. It really was. Um, for the Flinders, when they first, they had a public meeting in, in a, we've got two main towns in, in the Flinders Rangers Council area. Quorn is one and Hawker is the other. Hawker was the one that was actually closest to where the dump site was going to be. Um, and they had a public meeting, town hall meetings, 
And one of the things they said is, we, we'll give you this information, and at the end of it, there will be a, a vote. Um, and if there's not broad-based support, uh, we'll, we'll ask the community to vote. And if there's not support, well, we, we understand we're not going to force this on an unwilling community. And we said, what, what, do you, what do you regard, what are the guidelines for a community? When you say community, what do you mean? And they said, oh, well, it's everyone living within a 50-kilometre radius of where the dump will be. Now, that actually took our town of Quorn out of the contention because the actual site was about 70 kilometres away. Um, now, and so this became, we thought, well, this is contentious because the actual site here in the Flinders was just outside the council boundary. Um, so a lot of that on the, the site that's outside the council boundary, the community, the population is very small because it's all station country. A huge area is actually Lake Torrens and nobody lives on, on the surface of Lake Torrens. So they came up with this formula and they said, well, we'll include the whole community of the Flinders Ranges Council District, uh, which includes Quorn and Hawker, and then for the area that's outside, we'll put a compass in the map and draw a 50k circle around the rest of it. Now over at Kimber, their guidelines were different and they just made it Entirely confined to the community of Kimber, the Flinders, the community, sorry, the Kimber District Council area. Um, the site that's proposed at Kimber is up on one end of the Shire, and there are uh, the Shire, the, the boundary of the next door um, local government area is very close to that site. But that local government area was not so the 50k radius didn't apply up there. Uh, they just said the, the Kimber local government shire were eligible to vote. Um, so that there was a situation where somebody down the other end of the, the uh, Kimber shire, maybe 70 k's from the dump, uh, they could vote. But somebody who lived across the, the boundary, maybe only 5 k's or 10 k's from where the dump would be, they had no vote because they weren't allowed it in the shire. So that's that's one one aspect of it. And of course... Uh, they spoke to the Bangala people. The Bangala people said they wanted to be included in that vote because that is their traditional, that's part of their traditional homelands uh, area, uh, even though they might not have land rights specifically on, on, the, on the site. Um, but they, they weren't included in that vote. They were offered a chance to have a separate vote just among their community. But it was all very stage-managed and manipulated. So, uh, again, part of a very shoddy, badly thought-out process. So where are things at now and what is your involvement in the current proposals and uh, what support is needed from across the country? Well, um, it's probably fairly simple. Minister Canavan named the site as Nepandi, um and there was... Um, assessment of all those sites. They had um, a company looking at the geology and the hydrology and all that sort of stuff uh, on all sites. He named Nepandi, but then, as people will recall, he before the last election, he stepped down from the ministry and, and a new minister was supported. And the new minister said uh, the minister had discretion to name the site. That's, that was part of his, um, uh, his decision-making process. Um, but having done so, 
that decision was open to challenge by uh, judicial review. So uh, if, if there was a, a dissenting body, for example, take the Bunga, Bangala Corporation, uh, if they didn't agree with that decision, they could challenge it in the court. Um, so the new minister, Minister Pitt, who took over, he then changed the rules and he said, well, I'm going to take this to Parliament. I, uh, I, don't, want to make, I don't think I can make that decision. It's a national decision. So we, we will try and change the legislation so that the name of Nepandi is actually enshrined in, in the actual legislation, and which would, in big law, you'd actually have to change the law again to, to challenge it. And there was no judicial review. If it was passed by both houses of parliament, then, then it was not subject to review. So that took a, a year in limbo, and eventually, just recently, Minister uh, Pitt has said, no, well, we'll go back to the... They couldn't get it through the Senate. It was passed through the lower house, couldn't get it through the upper house. Opposition from uh, Labor, Greens, and, and, and very critically, so with some of the independent uh, parties. Um, so we're back to the status quo, uh, where the minister has made the decision that it can be challenged by judicial review. Um, so that's one side of it. Uh, but the, it, it's really a very simple thing because the proposal is to have a facility that will store Australia's low-level radioactive waste in above-ground bunkers. And that needs to be managed, they tell us, for about 300 years. It's above-ground storage. But the real elephant in the room was that they also want to, want to move from Lucas Heights uh, all the what they classify as intermediate level waste, which is a much heavier, uh, much higher category, category of waste. It needs, it's toxic and dangerous for 10,000 years, um, which, let's face it, 10,000 years is effectively forever because none of us are going to be alive in 10,000 years. None of the people making the decision now will be alive in 10,000 years. But the idea is to move that stuff from where it's actually, the majority of it is temporarily stored in, in very safe, um, secure facility at Lucas Heights. So they want to remove it from temporary storage there to the new site at Lepandi at Kimber into another temporary storage uh, area, which they say will could be several decades, um, no timeline on it. Very, uh, and then after that, they will then look for somewhere to dispose of it, so it's permanently disposed of. And the real issue is saying, why shift it? Why shift it from temporary storage now to another place of temporary storage for an undefined period? when you know you're going to have to transfer it somewhere else to a third location that you haven't found yet for final disposal. And, and this is stuff that in Europe is considered as high level. Australia won't accept that they have any high level waste here. They call it intermediate level. And it's dangerous for 10,000 years. So that's that aspect of it. Now, as far as the actual facility at Kimber, uh, what we promised when we, the initial offer, the initial proposal was that this waste facility would provide 15 full-time jobs. And about 18 months into that, that process of informing the community, Minister Canavan made an announcement and he said, we've now decided, we've made it a firm decision that we will co-locate 
the intermediate level waste at the low level facility and by saying that we are now able to announce that those 15 jobs will be 45 because with with the intermediate level waste there we will need extra facilities and extra staff etc cetera, etc cetera. so the community was going to get 45 new jobs and of course a lot of other benefits um, even though even touted this as a tourist a tourist mecca People were going to go there to, to look at the, the nuclear waste dump. Those were the benefits that were sold to Kimber. And what is actually happening right now is that the, the, the um, ANSTO, the Australian Nuclear uh, Science and Technology Organisation at Lucas Heights, the people that run the facility, they know it's a problem, that the intermediate level waste is a problem. They've got a... So they've, they've got a hearing from the Parliamentary Standing Committee on Public Works coming up sometime in this year, and one of their proposal is that that they can extend the the temporary or interim storage of that that intermediate level waste at Lucas Heights, which is what we've all been saying, and but we're saying, uh, and they've got it in. There was an allocation in the last budget of sixty million dollars to set up the facilities to continue this intermediate storage at Lucas Heights. And we're saying that should be contingent on... While, while it's still in interim storage, they should be looking for and establishing a final disposal place down the track. And it might be as late as um, 2037, as one of the figures quoted, or later before they establish this uh, permanent site. We're saying it makes no sense, there's no logic at all in, in the, uh, no economic sense, in double handling the most toxic waste we have in Australia and parking it somewhere out in the middle of Australia where there are no facilities and no security when it's already handled safely where it is in Lucas Heights. So that's really the issue. That's Greg Bannon, member of the Flinders Local Action Group. You're listening to The Radioactive Show. Next, Michaela and Greg reflect on the long history of the nuclear waste issue in Australia. The same thing that we've uh, been working on for yeah over twenty years now. It's well, the truth is, um, Australia's been producing nuclear waste for more than sixty years. the The first reactor, research reactor, was established in the late fifties, fifty eight or fifty nine. I think it was commissioned. That's more than sixty years ago. Um, and then the new reactor that was a, a reactor called the HIFAR. Um, and then uh, that's now been decommissioned. And um, there's a new reactor that uh, was commissioned in about 2008 or nine, somewhere around there. Uh, which is, and we're, we're not disputing the use of that con- the uh, that that research reactor. Um, an argument that's given to us all the time is uh, something along the lines that one in every two Australians at some time in their life will need treatment by radioactive. Um, uh, isotopes um, and by opposing this waste dump it was put to us that we were actually opposing nuclear medicine in Australia which is absolute rubbish none of us has said that I'm sure m- many of us have got friends or relatives who've been touched by cancer who've had uh, diagnosis and treatment using radioactive isotopes that's not the issue the issue is storing the waste that uh, comes from the process of making those isotopes that's, that's the issue, and we're saying don't park it in temporary storage. Surely, after 60 years, 
you should have come up with the most suitable, safe and permanent disposal site in Australia. And that hasn't been done. For the last 20 or more years, like you said, the search has only been for some some site uh, that was basically only going to be temporary storage. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. Like, why are they wasting all this money and time on something yeah. that's just a distraction from the actual work that needs to be done to look at ways to, yeah, safeguard this? To establish the site at, um, with the figures we're told to establish the site at Kimber, a new site, no site there before, on farming land, food producing land, it'll be something like over $300 million. Uh, and that would give long-term storage of the low-level waste. Like I said, they'll be in concrete bunkers, and then as the bunker fills up, they'll be covered with dirt, so there'll be these mounds. Um, uh, that's okay. But alongside that will be a shed that will hold, hose, will house Australia's intermediate-level waste, um, and we're looking at over $300 million for that. Um, now, And then, after that's done are going to go and have to spend who knows how many millions for a permanent storage site, somewhere, a permanent disposal site somewhere else. It's just a waste of taxpayers' money. $60 million is what they... And that, that is, the depart, that is uh, ANSTO's preferred option at the moment to in, increase the capacity at Lucas Heights for longer interim storage. And, uh, and that's what they've got a, a, a price tag of $60 million. Yeah. So that to us is, makes a lot of sense. And mm. it's not a conversation that's been held in Australia. And one of the things they told us was the key issue was what they wanted to do was establish one single state-of-the-art, world's best practice national radioactive waste facility in one location, which is wherever. Now we know it's, it's Kimber, that's the site that's nominated. And we've always said... Well, that's not one site because all you're proposing is temporary storage and you know that you're going to have to shift it somewhere else to another site. So you're actually talking about two sites. Um, that's never been acknowledged that, that, that that's, that that's what, what the actual fact of the matter was. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for all the work that you're doing and uh, for joining us on the show today. And, uh, yeah. Catch up oh, with you. Well, thank you. It's a, a pleasure to be able, given the opportunity. I thank you for the opportunity to to put another side to the to the question. That was Greg Bannon, interviewed by Rad Show producer Michaela Stubbs. Thanks to Greg and all those fighting at grassroots level for a fair, transparent, and safe solution for the nuclear waste issue in Australia. That's it for today. You've been listening to the Radioactive Show produced for 3CR at my home in Nam, Melbourne, and broadcast across these stolen lands known as Australia through the Community Radio Network. All our shows are available as podcasts on our website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. If you want to get in touch, please give us a call at the 3CR office on 03 9419 or email radioactiveshow.3cr.org at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and here's to a nuclear-free future.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.